Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jack Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit, the Jackler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. When the members of the Sydney Turf Club Committee of the mid-1950s announced the creation of their new autumn two-year-old race, they would never have imagined the impact it would have on the racing and breeding industries down through the years. It was Mrs George Ryder, wife of the then chairman of the Sydney Turf Club, who suggested the Golden Slipper as a likely name. 64 years on, the Slipper is the world's richest two-year-old event. Owners of Golden Slipper winning cults just sit back and wait for the offers to come from stud syndicates. Owners of stallions who sire a slipper winner get ready to take the bookings. Trainers lucky enough to win one enjoy a profile boost while there isn't a jockey in the country who wouldn't give his eye tooth to ride a slipper winner. Right from the beginning in 1957, the slipper stamped itself as a race for great horses when Todman was the runaway winner. In the years to follow, champion cults like Vane and Luskin Star added to its reputation. Saturday, March 20 is the much-anticipated date for the Longines Golden Slipper, carrying a purse of $3.5 million. We've seen some brilliant youngsters in the lead-up races, many of them looking like they've been here before. The Slipper will be supported by the George Ryder, the Ranvet, the Galaxy, and the Rose Hill Guineas. All Group 1s on a spectacular program. Saturday, March 20, for the 65th running of the Golden Slipper. The 2020-2021 racing season will go down as the one in which female jockeys prove conclusively that they are now a dominant force on the Australian turf. With the season half over, Jamie Carr has a commanding lead on the Melbourne ladder. Jess Eaton is several wins ahead of Todd Pannell in Adelaide. And Rachel King has only James McDonald and Tommy Berry ahead of her in Sydney. Jess Eaton has been the find of the year. Now in her final season as an apprentice, she arrived in Adelaide as recently as June of last year when her indentures were transferred from John and Chris Maher in Melbourne to Michael Hickmott at the new and spectacular Murray Bridge Training Complex. At the time this podcast was recorded on March 7, Jess had reached 72.5 wins for the season, needing only three more to outride her claim and had taken her career tally of winners to 210. At Murray Bridge on January 13, she recorded her career PB with four winners on the day, and there have been several trebles along the way. Since arriving in Adelaide, Jess has ridden two stakes winners, the Leon McDonald on Sky Punch and the Lightning at Morfordville on Parlophone. She also piloted the brilliant Scorched Earth to a runaway win in the Magic Millions two-year-old classic on February 27. Jess is the first to admit she moved to Adelaide seeking a few more opportunities than she was getting in Melbourne. She never dreamed that in eight months' time she'd be the leading rider in the state. It's all pretty hard to comprehend, Jessica. 
I've been going really well and I'm, I'm very lucky, that's for sure. Michael Hickmott made several approaches to lure you from Victoria before you finally relented. What convinced you to take the plunge? Uh, I think COVID coming along and uh, I really thought uh, wintertime in Melbourne would be a good time to really um, hit my straps and, and hopefully seek uh, a fair few more opportunities with um, typically a lot of the seniors going away. But um, mm. with COVID, that sort of changed everything. Everyone was, you know, forced to, to stay put and naturally um, while they can, that, that those boys will, will keep on riding. So um, I made the tough decision to, to relocate and move over to South Australia, and I'm certainly not looking back. No. Michael was the first trainer to avail himself of 30 boxes in the new Murray Bridge complex, which was a joint initiative between the South Australian Government, Thoroughbred Racing South Australia, and the Murray Bridge Racing Club. Now, in all, 150 stables were made available. Are they all full yet? Uh, I'm not too sure. I know that applications are going in to try and request and, and take some more boxes via the trainers, but, um, mm. you know, it looks very promising and it's, um, it's, it's good to see new trainers coming to Mowbridge. The race course itself has been greatly upgraded and it's getting rave reviews, Jess, from all sections of the industry. What do you think of Murray Bridge? Definitely. Um, it, it deserves every credit it gets. Uh, the track's beautiful. In particular, the course proper is amazing to ride on, both track work and race day. Um, we've got great facilities with a nice all-weather track in the middle and another sand track. And um, they're in the process of finalising this uh, lovely hill track that's going out the back. And um, I think with the addition of on-course stables and a swimming pool, Murray Bridge will be the place to be. Mm. Well, Michael's father, John, is a trainer. His brother, Robert, of course, has had tremendous success training for Lloyd Williams, and he's away to a pretty good start himself, isn't he? Definitely. Um, it's obviously a strong racing family, and um, they've all grown up together, learning all their bits and pieces. It's great to see John Hickmont at the track every day, and mm. Michael's obviously going extremely well, and um, you know, he's earned his spot on the Premiership. You're a Mount Waverley girl in Melbourne and you developed a love of horses at a very early age. Your mum, Ree, and your dad, Daryl, encouraged your interest and they actually let you go to a riding school and I think you got your own horse pretty early in proceedings too. Yeah, I was very lucky. Um, obviously, you know, pursuing horses and horse riding is not cheap as a child and um, graduating to owning, owning your own horse is even more expensive. So I was very lucky to get the support from my parents to um, follow my dreams and my passions. And it grew from there and landed me in the racing industry. And I'm certainly not looking back. Did mum and dad have any interest at all in actual horse racing? Um, no, my parents probably not at all, really. Uh, my mum's from New Zealand and she, she rode a little bit of, um, she rode some horses here and there when she could, um, but, but not, uh, often, um, and it probably wasn't until I got into racing that my parents have been strong in following it and they've actually picked it up quite quickly. Mm. I imagine they'd spend race days glued to their sky racing monitor. Yeah, definitely. I'm always getting text messages the day of or the day before the race wishing me luck and mm. um, they're always following my rides and my results and um, always offering great encouragement. Mm. You obviously get plenty of credits from them, but... Uh, what do they have to say if, in their opinion, you've ridden one 
in ordinary fashion? Oh, look, I think they're pretty biased. I don't know if they'd really tell me if they thought I gave a horse <laughs> a bad ride. They might say it was someone else's fault, but um, they're typical parents. They um, they love me lots and they're, yeah. they're probably my biggest fan. You went to Monash Pony Club and Nunawadding Pony Club and you focused pretty quickly on the eventing discipline. That seems to have been your main interest. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love eventing. It's something I'd love to get back to one day. Um, it's good fun. It's, you know, all three disciplines and, and your horse has to be skilled at all three to be successful. So um, I think mm. it's a great a great task for um, horse and rider training-wise to, um, to be competitive and um, it's something mm. I've always enjoyed and, like I said, would love to get back to one day. Mm. Jamie Carr makes no secret of the fact that she's happier on a show jumper or an eventer and she is on a thoroughbred in a Group 1 race. Um, yeah, I, I can certainly relate to that. Um, while racing's amazing, it probably takes a different level of horsemanship and um, understanding to, to ride a, a show jumper or an eventer and um, the affiliation, affiliation you have with the horses is, is probably a touch greater and the work you put in to that horse behind the scenes to get the results out in competitions, um, quite a lot of hard work. So um I'm sure, like myself, she she enjoys that task and and the training and the work that it takes to get a horse to a, to a competition. Mm. It's funny how genetics can go in different directions in a family. You've got a brother, Matthew, who was your only sibling, who has absolutely no interest in horses. For sure, and um, you know he's quite tall, and there's no way he he'd even be able to make it as a jockey if, if even if he wanted to. So mm. um. As you said, it's quite interesting how genetics work and uh, I was very blessed with um, my height being quite quite short and um, obviously mm. very light too. The horse dentist who looked after your eventer's teeth knew that Danny O'Brien uh, was looking for somebody to do some groundwork in his stable and that's where you fell under the spell of the thoroughbred. This was your first connection to racehorses. Yeah, Mark Bunnell was um, probably the the main initiative to, initiator to get me into to racing, and um, he he really encouraged uh, just you know working in the industry and and learning a bit more, and um, he helped me get the job with Danny O'Brien Racing. And um, while I was still at school, I worked part time for Danny when I could, um, just in the mornings helping out on the ground. Your second job was at Cranbourne with Mick Kent before he teamed up with Mick Price. And this is where you finally got to ride some racehorses. Would you say yeah. you were were you instantly hooked? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, it's very different to riding your um, performance horses and your pony clubbers. Uh, it's my first job in racing as a track rider, and you know, I was I was quite new and it took a lot to teach me. But um, I was in great hands. I, I rode a lot of horses and um, really set me up. Right, your third job was with Mick Price. And this is where you expanded your track work involvement and it was Mick Price who seriously encouraged you to think about becoming an apprentice. Yeah, for sure. I owe a lot to Mick Price. Um, he really he really set myself up for a brilliant career that um, I'm completely in love with and enjoy doing it every day. And mm. um, I worked with him for quite a few years and um, – you know, he probably encouraged me quite early to, to look into becoming an apprentice, but it's something I took my time into deciding and yeah. making sure it was a right fit for me. And 
he gave me loads of opportunities as a rider. He um, let me ride some serious gallopers and mm. put me on in trials and jump outs when he didn't need to. And um, the more opportunities he gave me, the more I fell in love with the sport. Mm. Well, what was mum and dad's initial reaction when you told them you wanted to be a jockey? They get a shock? Look, I think they were probably just as excited as me. They probably didn't realise it was a career path for myself, um, you know, just just not even thinking about it. So um, when they found out, I think they were, they were quite excited. They probably didn't mm. really know much about racing at the time to really understand the risks involved. But, um, you know, they, they love watching me do my thing and um, mm. I think they're, they're very happy for me that I've um, gone down that path. Mm. You tell me your riding debut was far from spectacular. You had two rides on one program at Tatura. Your first ride was on a horse called Warpoint. Did Mick Price train that one? Yeah, uh, my first two rides were at Tatura and Mick Price trained both of them. Right, how'd you go? Uh, my first one wasn't ideal. He um, he missed the kick and um, come out the back and just, you know, wasn't really part of the race. And, and the second one, he jumped and put himself there. I think he might have ran third or fourth. Um, mm. It was a nice run without blowing anyone away, but um, it, was mm. a good, it was a good ride for, you know, a new apprentice. And was it a thrill? Was it an adrenaline pumper? Definitely. I had my family there and that was amazing to have them see me have my first couple of rides and just being out there kind of really um, really uh, f- made me realise that it was something I wanted to do. Yep. Your unforgettable first winner, Jess, was at a little place called Avoca six years ago. The mayor's name was Miss Burlesque and the trainer was Pat Starr from Bendigo. Big day. It was. Um, big thrill for myself. Um, I don't think she was really in the market, so it's not like I... I came there expecting to ride a winner um, and Pat's quite a good trainer but a very small trainer so um, we're very much underrated on the day and um, a massive thrill to get my first winner and um, since that day uh, Patrick Starr and Jess Pattinson who his partner is um, have been big supporters of me. You rode that mare quite a few times Miss Burlesque in fact you won another one on her later at Swan Hill so you won't forget her. Oh, definitely not. And it was quite a quite an impressive win that day. It's one hill. Um, she tore away from the field and won by um, quite a few lengths. Uh, and um, you know, she's always going to have a soft spot in my heart. I think Miss mm. Baleska's had a um, had a first foal that's just being broken in at the moment. So it's great mm. to see that she's still a part of racing. And um, hopefully, mm. her her babies come out and win some more races. Now, Jess, you surprised me when you said your first metropolitan winner was at Ascot in Perth three years ago. Now, there is a piece of trivia. You were there for an apprentices series and you picked up an extra ride on a horse called Classy Survivor. You wouldn't expect to win your first city race in WA. Oh, definitely not. Um, it was a big it was a big thrill to be selected to represent um, the Victorian apprentices over in Perth. And uh, I went over there with Matty Pumper, who's been um, a big asset to my career. He was my apprentice coach at the time. Mm. And um, we went down to ride in the apprentice series. Um, obviously, the horses you draw in that uh, down to Ballot and Luck. And the horse I rode wasn't in the market and it ran second, but it was enough to give Victoria the points it needed to, to win to win the title that year. And um, I was lucky enough to pick up a, a few other rides thanks to the help of Greg Childs and his 
his ex-manager, um, mm. and one of those rides, um, rides won the won a race. So that was mm. a massive thrill. Even having um, Matt Pumper there at the time, who who I said, um, who as I said, was a big big help to my career mm. um, and my development, um, was a massive thrill. As a four kilo claiming apprentice, you felt you should go to a regional centre, and Mick Price was able to get you a start with Brett Kavanagh who was training a very big team of horses at Albury. Off you went. Yes, um, it was a big move for myself. First time, you know, really going away from home and, um, you know, putting myself out there. It was quite daunting at the time, but um, it was a great experience. Uh, Brett, Brett gave me loads of rides. Um, I rode across uh, New South Wales and Victoria and, um, you know, I notched up quite a bit of success and, you um, it's great for my experience and my learning. Now, Jess, during that stint in Albury, you suffered a very nasty ankle injury. How did that happen? Uh, I was just doing some barrier trials for Brett on a couple of new horses, and unfortunately one of them, after coming out the gates, uh, was a bit new and inexperienced and wanted to have a bit of a buck, and I eventually fell off that and mm. unfortunately broke my ankle quite badly. Mm. Uh, that put me out in the sidelines for quite a while. Mm. Well, then came a stint with Terry and Karina O'Sullivan at Storwell in the Wimmera, a long way from Melbourne. Yeah. Um, after my injury, I was back at Mick as he was still my master. And then, um, you know, I still felt like I was still needing more experience um, outside of Mick Price's stable just for race rides. Um, so I, you know, had a look around and uh, spoke to Matt Pumper to see who might be appropriate for me to take me on to give me some rides out in the bush. And um, Terence Karina uh, popped up and I ended up moving down to Stall. And mm. um, after a couple of months, I actually uh, transferred my indentures over to Terry and Karina and um, I was mm. based with them for quite a while and they were great for my career. Terry gave me mm. um, loads of rides. I think even if you look up my stats, he's probably the trainer I've had the most rides for and um, that was invaluable. Yeah. in my learning and development, um, in, you know, mm. just becoming a better rider. But there was one low point during that period, a knee injury and another nasty one. Yeah, um, I was quite unlucky. I think um, the knee actually came when I, I moved into Mornington mm. um, with John and Chris Marr and I was oh. just quite unlucky at sale. Uh a horse in the mounting yard played up and got, got itself stuck on a fence and um, I was unfortunately the carnage in between and, and broke my knee. Oh, dear me. And that was a long absence, wasn't it? Yeah. Look, um, initially I didn't I didn't think the injury was that serious. Um, I got up and walked back to the, to the rooms and I thought uh, maybe it was just uh, shock and trauma that was, um, you know, making my leg give way. Mm. Um, and I had quite a nice ride organised on that Saturday at Flemington and, uh. you know, being Flemington, I really wanted to make sure I was right to go there. So um, I took myself down to hospital to get that hopefully patched up and see what I could do just to, you know, get mm. myself through for Saturday and then unfortunately x-rays told me that um, the the top of my tibia where my knee is um, was broken. Oh, dear me. Racing Victoria did a very good thing and a very sensible thing for you because of the amount of time you were out with injury they were able to arrange an extension 
uh, to the duration of your apprenticeship. That was a sensible decision and gave you a lot of help and support at the time. Definitely. Um, you know, injuries are a part of the sport and part of the game and um, I think you'll be foolish and naive to expect you won't get injured at all in racing. Mm-hmm. And um, Racing Victoria are really good in the sense that when apprentices do get hurt, um, they take that into account and, you know, they calculate your, your time off period and how long it's taken you to get recovered and back to race riding and, and they actually allow you if you if you if you wish to um, extend your time to mm. compensate for that lost time on the sidelines. Mm. You hadn't long joined the Mar stable at Mornington when a surprise winner came up. Not for your bosses, but for Jerome Hunter. In fact it was your first Saturday Metropolitan winner when you won on catching beams at Mooney Valley. A great morale booster, I'd imagine, after all the time out and all of the disappointment and heartache. For sure. I was very lucky to get um, some really good support by um, from Jerome. He um, He's quite a good trainer and he has some very competitive horses, especially when they step up into town. And um, that horse won quite impressively the start before at Mornington. And um, it was great to see um, it step up again and, and win um, on Saturday grade at, at Mooney Valley and Mooney Valley is such an amazing track. It's always a thrill to ride a winner there. Mm. You know, when you look back on your apprenticeship, what a grounding you got when you consider the cumulative experience of the six trainers you've worked for. Oh, for sure. I think um, maturity comes with experience, not age, and um, I was very lucky to to, to get the opportunities to, to travel around and ride for different trainers and ride different sorts of horses, whether they are good horses or not good horses. I think experience comes from both. And, um, mm. you know, being lucky enough to work with such successful big trainers has been a massive asset in my development and learning, and um, I think it's really held me in good stead for today. Mm. I'm just looking at the list as we speak. O'Brien, Kent, Price, Kavanagh the O'Sullivans and the Mars. I mean, that is a great grounding. Oh, for sure. Um, a lot of a lot of big wins in amongst those names and a lot of money. So um, mm. I think, as I said, I, I'm very lucky and I think I've taken, taken valuable bits of information and, and learning off every single one of them. Mm. At the end of 2019, with the support of the Singapore Turf Club and Racing Victoria, you had a short but a very enjoyable trip to Singapore where Chris Ma's brother Danny is a trainer. That was the connection, obviously. Yeah, um, it was an initiative Racing Victoria wanted to, to put into place. Um, Racing South Australia does it for their apprentices every year for the, for the, the winning Ducks apprentice. Um, and um, I guess I, I was the first one, a bit of a trial, um, trial to see how it went and uh, it was an amazing experience. Um, I loved working with Dan Ma. He, um, he's such a passionate passionate trainer that, um, you know, goes above and beyond to try and get the best out of his horses and uh, it was a great experience for myself mm. uh, riding in a different country and seeing how they do things and um, it was a big thrill for me. You rode a couple of winners and I think you were placed in a group race. Yeah, I... Um, I rode two winners, one for one for Dan Ma, which was a big thrill, and um, he put me on in a group two, and 
you know, it was probably the roughie of his chances in that race and I was very lucky to have, to have run a placing. I think it was third on him and, um, you know, Dan was thrilled for me and I was equally as thrilled because um, I thought I gave it a really good ride and um, I was really wrapped to have, you know, had, had a placing in my first group ride. Six or seven months after that Singapore adventure, you were on your way to Adelaide and it must have been a huge wrench to leave your partner, Racing.com journalist and presenter James Zafiris, and the two great Danes that you two had taken into your hearts. In fact, James was quoted recently as having said that you probably miss the great Danes more than you miss him. I'm not too too sure about that. I, I think I miss them all equally, and it was certainly tough, but um, I'm very lucky that James is extremely supportive and um, he's very much involved as racing as I am, so he understands um, that, you know, um, risks need to be taken in order to to get success and I've been very lucky enough to have um, been well rewarded and um, it makes life a lot easier when I have such great support behind me. I believe he brought the Great Danes all the way to Adelaide recently so you could give them a pat. Yeah, for sure. Um, he he brought them down, and I think they were there for a couple of weeks, and it was great to have them have them around and take them on trips around Adelaide for for a bit of fun and just spend some quality time with our little family. Mm. Jess, of all the wonderful technical luxuries we enjoy today, FaceTime has been a real winner for people who are separated. Yeah, definitely. I think um, FaceTime's been great for us because it's given me opportunity to see the dogs on on a frequent basis and have a good chat with James. So um, FaceTime's been brilliant and, you know, it's probably the next best thing when when they're not in the same room. Mm. Your very first commitment in Adelaide was to self-isolate for two weeks. How'd you handle that? Oh, that was quite tough. Um, I like being out and doing things and being isolated to a a little cottage was hard and... um, you know, I wanted to bounce straight into writing when I come out of isolation. So um, I had myself on quite a strict diet, so I knew I wouldn't put on weight when I was limited to exercise and activity. And um, mm-hmm. to keep my mind ticking over, I did the beep test up and down the driveway on my little Airbnb and mm-hmm. did the most I could to keep myself um, fit and well. Jess, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back with you after this. The Riverside Selling Auditorium will be buzzing on the 6th and 7th of April when the world-famous English Easter Yearling Sale will capture the spotlight. 466 yearlings will be offered, including siblings to 161 stakes winners. The progeny of 169 stakes winning mares will go under the hammer, while the list of stallions represented over the two days will appease the hardest marker. Sentimentalists will pay particular attention to the final draft of the legendary Reduce Choice, who died at Arrowfield Stud in 2019. Speaking of Arrowfield, the famous stud tops the Vendor numbers with 49, ahead of Coolmore with 40, Widden with 28, Sedgenhoe 23 and Yarraman Park 22. English Easter acquisitions in recent years include the Autumn Sun, Exceedance, Loving Gabby, Merchant Navy, Esther Jarb, Trapeze Artist, 
Russian Revolution and the Oaks winner, Personal. The countdown has begun for one of the world's greatest thoroughbred auctions, the 2021 Inglis Easter Sale. Well, you got away to an absolute flyer in South Australia on your very first day at the races at a Murray Bridge meeting you picked up a ride for the McDonnell Glyas stable in a $100,000 race. The horse was called Super Striker. That was a dream result. Oh, what a win that was. Um, it was quite a special horse, um, a difficult ride, albeit, but very talented. And um, I was out the back and it was quite difficult mid-race, but I managed to keep it out and balance. And I think um, just having its momentum up was the key with that horse on the day. And um, mm. it was very dominant late. And, you know, I think um, with that opportunity, it really helped put my name on the board and um, stamp myself as a, as a rider in South Australia. And I think that's been um, a, played a big part in the opportunities I've got gotten since. Yep. He's a special horse, super striker. Now, the... 2019-2020 season was all but over when you got to Adelaide, so you were really looking forward to the commencement of the new season. Now, take your mind back to August the 1st of last year when that new season got underway. What were you expecting right then? What were you hoping for at that stage? To be honest, I was just hoping to, you know, get get more rides than I was getting and um, do my best to, to improve myself as a rider. I think um, the support and opportunities I got f- from there was um, quite impressive and something I didn't really um, didn't really expect, to be honest. Mm. Well, even though Jamie Carr had departed for Melbourne, the riding ranks were still very strong. Todd Pannell had won the premiership the season before Jason Holder has never been in better form. Beren Vorster is very effective. Paul Gatt's in good form. Paul's one of those tradesman-like jockeys who's always there. And Kayla Crowther's having a good run. I think she rode three winners on Saturday, Jess. Uh, she actually rode four. She, she? Um, had a yep. massive day yesterday and, um, you know, there's some very good jockeys in South Australia and it's certainly... It's certainly no easy feat riding winners against them and they keep you honest and, um, you know, it's something I always try and do and ride better every time I get out there and work on all the one percenters. Mm. You rode three winners at Murray Bridge last Wednesday, March 3rd. You rode another winner at Morfordville on Saturday. So at this stage you're about six and a half wins ahead of Todd Panel uh, with Jason Holder and Berend Vorster snapping at your heels. Now, we're recording this the day before you have your very first ride in an Adelaide Cup, and I know you were very thrilled to get the call from Archie Alexander to ride a horse called Berade. Yeah, how exciting is that, you know, um, just to get a ride in the Adelaide Cup, and and I actually think it's quite quite a nice ride, Um, it's a big thrill, and it's drawn a very ideal barrier and um, I'm very excited to be on the back of Berade tomorrow. After the Adelaide Cup, you begin a three-meeting suspension. Incurred at Murray Bridge last Saturday week, February the 27th. Did you deserve it? Uh, look, I, I think I was definitely guilty and um, whilst I was guilty, I'm, I'm very disappointed that um, 
that it happened. It obviously uh, makes my goal of outriding my claim a lot more difficult. I think um, I've got three three winners left for uh, approximately two South Australian Metro meetings. So, um, mm. you know, I have to be on the ball and 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 work my hardest to try and try and achieve that goal. You've ridden three very significant winners since arriving in South Australia. The first was at the end of last season when Price and Kent sent Parlophone over for a listed race, the Lightning at Morfordville. She's a smart filly. You did a great job on her and that must have been a tremendous thrill to win for your old boss. Definitely. Um, that was the first winner I've ridden for, for Mick Price, so it was a massive thrill for me and a massive reward for effort. Um, she has been quite a difficult mare and had a had a history of coming out the gates and having a bit of a buck, so um, it certainly wasn't an easy and straightforward ride, but fortunately she was on her best behaviour on the day and she had a lethal turn of foot late and was extremely do- dominant. You were very pleased to win the Leon McDonald stakes for Michael Hickmott on Sky Punch. And I saw a beautiful photo of you coming back to scale on Sky Punch. Uh, You just dropped over her neck or his neck and gave him a very big cuddle. Yeah, I was um, very proud of Sky Punch that day. He was obviously um, not in the market. He he paid quite a big price and it was quite a tough field. He... um, he was competing against horses like Delisan that have been um, extremely competitive in group races. And, you know, Sky Punch has certainly got ability, but, you know, not probably to the ability of those horses. And um, I think the ride and the preparation to that day was what won the race. And it was a massive thrill both for myself and Michael. Michael's been a big supporter of my career ever since mm. um, moving over to South Australia. And I think it was the first time that race was um, named the Leon McDonald Stakes. So, um Leon's obviously an extremely good trainer. He's a Hall of Famer and um, to win that race that's named after him was another thrill. Mm. I'm going to post a number of photos alongside the podcast heading, Jess, uh, which were sent over to me by Terry Han of Atkins Photography. And that one of you uh, giving Sky Punch a cuddle is one of the nicest racing photos I've seen in a long time. Yeah, um, as I said, I, I'm very proud of proud of that horse and that ride and um, it was a big thrill and something that'll that'll be with me forever. There was one very significant win on the 13th of February when you won on Lord Vladivostok, trained by your boss at, uh, actually you won the race at Morfordville Parks. It was special because it brought up your 200th career win. Um, yeah, very, very big thrill for myself. 200 wins is, is a big milestone for me and um, to do it on my boss's horse um, was a massive thrill. You won on him again, didn't you, after that by a very big margin. You like him a lot. Yeah, he's um, quite a progressive horse and um, he's starting to really show the ability that we know he's got. He's He's been quirky, so it's taken a bit of work behind the scenes to really understand the horse and, and get him a hundred percent um in terms of delivering on the day the day and i think i think we're doing um a great job with him and i'm really excited to ride him tomorrow he's in he's in the csa stakes and um i'm really hoping he can be just as dominant your career best day came along at murray bridge on january the 13th of this year when you rode four winners now that's fairy tale stuff 
Let me just run the names by you again, Jess. Don't dream it's over. Echoes in eternity, Bolt by and Pindaric. You'll never forget them. Oh, for sure. Um, having three wins for my boss on the one day was a massive thrill again for myself and Michael. Um, I can't stress how 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 important Michael's been to my career since moving out of South Australia and the support he's given me has been unbelievable. Um, I've never really had a trainer that's put so much trust and faith in me as a rider and um, mm. to see it delivering with the results is um, extremely satisfying and um, we're, we're proving to be quite a dominant team. So three of those four winners were trained by Michael. Who trained the fourth one? Leon McDonald. So, again, um, oh, he's good. been a great supporter for me in Adelaide. Um, he obviously has his own apprentices and Jason Holder's his number one rider, but every now and then I'm lucky enough to pick up a ride for him and they've always been really good rides and really well trained. So, um, mm. you know, I've been, I've been lucky to get quite a few winners for Leon since moving over. Michael Hickmott has obviously been your number one supporter, but other trainers have been putting you on uh, a lot very generously. Mick Huxtable is one and Andrew Clarkin is another. Yeah, look, I think um, besides Michael, they're probably my biggest supporters and I do a lot of work for them with trials and track work and, you know, they're, they're teams that I'm more than happy to put the work into because both trainers are extremely impressive trainers. Mick Huxtable and I have quite an ex- impressive strike rate and I've been very lucky to to get in his team and I think Andrew's quite an underrated and progressive trainer he's only got a very small team but that team's building and he's um he, he's really he's really showing how how good a trainer he is with his tried horses and his young horses um and just showing how adaptable he is as a trainer and he's certainly getting the results to reward his hard work. Mm. Just the second track at Morfordville has been a real winner, hasn't it, known as Morfordville Parks. It just takes the workload away from the main track. And jockeys tell me it, it's really hard to tell the difference when you're riding on the inside circuit. It's it's pretty spacious. Yeah, look, the Parks track is quite a quirky track. It's quite a difficult track to ride as well. Um, if you watched the races yesterday, Saturday, Morfordville Parks, it was extremely leader-dominated track. Um, mm. You know, everything that was leading on the fence was winning and it makes it very, very hard for other horses in the race. And, um, you know, every now and then the track plays really fair, but it is quite a, a quite a tricky track to ride and I've had to learn and adapt how to ride that track, especially with the help of Darren Murphy, South Australia's apprentice mentor coach. Um mm. But um, you know, I've recently struck up quite a lot of success on Parks Track, and I'm I'm I'd, I'd I'd like to say I'm getting the hang of it and and learning how to ride it a lot better. So um, you know, it's it's an asset to South Australian racing to have two tracks at Morfordville, um, and you know, uh, it's it's a great place to be riding at. So you can't really pick how the Parks Track will play until one or two races have been run, until a pattern is established. Um, I think you can get a pretty good idea when you walk the track. Um, the fence, the fence walked quite hot yesterday. Um, it was touch firmer and it just looked like a really good fast lane yesterday at Morfordville Park. So, um, usually you can get a pretty good indicator how the track's going to play when you walk it. But, um, you know, obviously tempo and everything comes into that when, when you ride it. But, um, when you walk the track, I think you can get a pretty good indication how it's going to play. Well, Jess, once the claim's gone, Life is going to be quite different. 
They'll never be able to take the talent away, but the commitment levels will need to be unwavering. Track work, weight monitoring, reliability and focus, all the things that make a top jockey in this era. So there's some hard work ahead. Yeah, definitely. I think um, becoming a senior is going to be a a transition that might take a bit of time, but um, unfortunately weight's not an issue and Michael's um, Michael's guaranteed he's willing to support me and keep me on on the team. And um, you know, I think I can take a bit of confidence in knowing that I'm, I've been getting really good result, results on that provincial provincial meetings, um, like my Bridge last Wednesday where I rode a treble. So um, I certainly don't think the transition's impossible. I just have to keep my head down, bum up, and and work hard. Mm. So what what are your long term thoughts? Uh, you know, for now, obviously, you're very happy in Adelaide where you're going so well. Down the track, would you like to go back to Victoria and show them what you can do? Oh, for sure. If the opportunity's there, I'd definitely love to to have a crack at in Melbourne again. But um, I think while I'm getting such great support in South Australia, I'd love to stay and, you know, um, ferment myself as a senior and try and keep keep the support, the opportunities going with the success that I'm getting. So, um, you know, it's, again, uncharted territory for me being a senior and um, I think um, the smart move would be to stay in South Australia where the support's there and um, work on my transition period here. Yeah. Well, as I said in the introduction, you've been the find of the year in Australia's riding ranks and you've been a brilliant ambassador for females who work in the racing industry and that's an ever-increasing number. Well done, Jess. You've come a long way in a short time, and we're delighted to have you on the podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Thanks for your time on a Sunday morning. Thanks for having me, John.